Welcome to the Student Ministry Podcast by Lifeway. We're so glad to have you here for this episode. It is going to be a great one. Uh, I'm, I'm super excited about it, and we'll get into that in just a minute. But before we do, here is your quick reminder to leave a rating and review if you haven't done that yet. It helps other people find the podcast as they search for student ministry related content, and it helps us get better if you tell us what you like and what you wish was different. So head over to the review system in your podcast platform of choice and leave the stars and words. It helps us. All right. I'm your host, Ben Trueblood, here in the studio today with producer Nathan. What's up? How's it going? It's good, man. This is our, our first recording back after a long holiday break. It is. First so one back. Yeah. We, we are here again. We are excited about our guest today. Dr. Shelly Melia is the Associate Dean of the Graduate School of Ministry at Dallas Baptist University. She served in the local church and children's and family ministry for over 25 years prior to coming to DBU to lead the Master of Arts in Children's Ministry and the Master of Arts in Family Ministry. She's a licensed professional counselor and serves as a professor of childhood education at Dallas Baptist. She's the proud mom of three kids, Nathan, Lexi, and Braden. Well, today's topic uh, is all about studying generations. All right, so we've been hearing about Gen Z. You've probably listened to several podcasts. You've done your own study, student pastors on Gen Z for years now, and how we can minister to them and knowing about key things about generations of people helps us become better pastors of those people. But now it's time to start thinking about Gen Alpha. It's time to start talking about Gen Alpha. They are coming soon to be a part of our student ministry. And Dr. Amelia is here to talk to us about that. We're so glad you're here. Thank you for making the time to be with us. Thank you for having me. I always enjoy being with Lifeway friends. Well, we wanted to start off, and I know you put a lot of time uh, into studying, doing some generational study, and that you teach childhood education, and as a part of that, have to know about teaching children. Um, so what are some things, why is studying and learning about generations important for pastors? You know, uh, from an education standpoint, you know, that, that kind of makes sense, but in terms of pastorally, why do we need to be studying generations? Well, uh, generational uh, studies are so crucial for pastors and for ministers to know the audience that they are that they are trying to reach. Um, when we look at results that we're having in the local churches right now, most of us would probably agree that it's not exactly where we want it to be. That yeah. there's some some room for improvement. That we've seen some decline, and so. Um, we need to make sure that we understand this generation in order to sort of turn the tide on that, uh, on that decline. And we've been through a time period right now with unprecedented change. Uh, that was a word that we heard over and over and over again during COVID about how things were unprecedented. And I think even if I think back to two or three or four years ago, and I think about all the things that have changed in churches, all the ways in which we do things differently the ways in which we've had to deliver content, all of those things have, have changed at a pace that's really unmatched at any time in our history. And so I think it's important to really think about, okay, all of these things that have happened, how are they impacting our kids? And then how does that inform our ministry? Because the ministry that we give to kids 
now is not the same, cannot be the same as it was 10 or 15 years ago. So I just think it's really important to be a student of the people we're trying to reach. Yeah, you're right. And that I've, I've heard several people say they're just ready for some precedented times. We've, we've had so much unprecedented that we're, we're ready to get back. Well, the, really the, the meat of this episode is all around the question, who is Gen Alpha and what are we seeing of kids right now? What are the, mar- what are the key markers of, of that generation that are starting to rise to the top? And of course, I think it's important to say, and we know that the older they get, the more key things will come out and, sure. and we will continue to learn more. So the book is obviously not closed on studying this generation, but from your seat, what are you seeing now that you would say, hey, let's pay attention to this as the church? Right. Well, first of all, some may not be aware of kind of the time frame of Generation Alpha. And so there's always some differences in opinion in that. But in general, folks believe that Generation Alpha started in 2010. Uh, and so those kids um, are at the most 12 years old, uh, barely. And so they would be coming into student ministry, mm-hmm. but it goes, you know, it's all the way to present. So we could have uh, infants uh, in that group too. Um, and so these are the people that follow Gen Z. And like you said, you guys have studied them a lot. And some of the some of the big picture things that are going on with Gen Alpha are similar to, um, to Gen Z, but there's some very, very unique things. And so when I think about sort of macro trends, big picture trends, we know that that there's globalization more so than any, any other generation. We know that our kids have been cyber socialized more so um, that, that technology is socializing them. It's how they relate to each other. Um, We also know that our kids have been isolated, that this particular generation has been isolated more than, than any other generation. And, um, and, and one writer that I've been reading talked just about the accumulated stress that that's occurred in the lives of these kids because of relational disconnection and, and talking about sort of a breakdown in belongingness and how important that is. And so um, we also know that our world is very polarized and that we're very tribal. Uh, and so our kids are, are watching adults um, be very divided and, and that impacts, I think, kids, and, and it makes it hard for them to trust uh, institutions like the church, certainly corporations, even news media. And then another big trend that, that impacts our kids is just this absence of shared truth, that it's very difficult for us to agree on what is true. And I think you've probably seen the social dilemma with Netflix, and they talk a lot about yeah. that absence of, so, of, of shared truth. And so kind of have that all of that stuff going on at a time period when these kids are growing up. And so, so it's really going to impact them in some ways um, that are different than my generation, which I was Gen X, which we're probably the least talked about generation. Uh, <laughs> and millennials had a lot of ink spilled and, and Gen Z certainly too, but, but Gen Alpha is going to continue to, um, to get some attention um, and so if, if you really think about who they are, I can give you a few characteristics that, that writers have written about. Um, but if you, if you can think back this far, but 2010 was the year that Instagram and the iPad were launched. Hmm. You know, it seems like a lot longer uh, than, than that. But 
Uh, some folks also call this generation the celebrity generation because everything in their life has been documented on Facebook or YouTube or TikTok. Uh, they had gender reveal parties and, and at a level that no other generation uh, was broadcast. Um, the majority of them, what research tells us, are from non-traditional um, or hurting and dysfunctional households. Hmm. And so our churches really aren't designed for that. Many of no. them. The churches are really no. geared towards that traditional uh, two-parent family, and so I think that's a huge, um, a huge challenge that we have. Um, we also know that they have just consumed a ton of media. Um, an average seven-year-old has already spent one year of his life in front of a screen, and so um, they uh, they have consumed a lot, and yet they've become tech creators. So the, the things that they enjoy are where they're co-creating in technology. Um, and so I think that's something, too, for the church is to realize that we may think that hanging a screen in a room and showing a video is really high tech, but that's, you know, fifth generation um, technology or first generation yeah. technology. And they're, they're dealing with 10th generation technology. Um, and so and then another, another thing is that they're going to have jobs that we don't even know exist yet. Uh, because the world is changing at a pace that's that's so rapid. Um, some people believe that over 40% of them will never marry. And that's probably due to uh, more of a, of a um, uh, devaluing of the, of the institution of marriage. You also have to remember that they've grown up with the social things going on and the changes in view in marriage, whether uh, they believe in heterosexuality or homosexuality. There's gender fluidity. There's the Me Too and Church Too movement. There's all of sort of these things going on in our world that, that they see. Um, and then, you know, kind of a fun fact is that 100% of them have been homeschooled for at least a period of time. Um, now, it's not the, you know, if you're a true homeschooler, what many kids have experienced is not really true homeschooling, but but they have all experienced a period of time where they were receiving in, in their home. Uh, and so that's a few things about them. There's certainly a lot of other things that we that we could talk about, but I think those are a few of the things that that are interesting. Is there any of those that you want me to pick up on and kind of elaborate on? Yeah, absolutely. I've been taking some notes here as you've talked, and it is interesting to think about. This is a good, uh, I could see student pastors using this in some type of joking manner, but that 100% of them have been homeschooled at uh -huh. some, at some period of time. Thank yeah. you pandemic, right? For, <laughs> for, for having that. I want to go back to really one of the first things that you said Okay. in this, in the cyber socialization. Uh, and I would love for you to unpack that term a little bit more. And then there are a couple other things I want to dive into, but let's start right there. Sure. So there's a book um, called The Cyber Effect written by Aiken. It's a, it is not even a, a faith book, but she really coined that term cyber socialization. And she talks about a story. She kind of opens the book with a story where she's in a train uh, in Europe and she's riding and a young mom comes in and she has a young baby and she has that baby in her arms and sort of props her in such a way where she can position the bottle to feed the baby with one arm and then turns and looks with her other arm at her phone the whole time that she was on this train and this, this researcher, you know, made the statement, um, that, uh, kids are being parented by distracted parents and that mm. kids need more FaceTime, that 
that what we used to do is feed our babies and we would talk to them and sing to them. Mm -hmm. And now we look at our, we look at our, uh, we look at our phones. Now that, that leads to then our kids having so much uh, technology that we give it to them at such an early age that, um, that then they can become socialized by that through their interactions that they have socially. So what she was talking about there was really just the effect of technology on kids is that we have distracted parents. But then secondary to that, maybe even more important, is just how that um, social media is socializing our kids and that they're learning um, how to interact through, through computers, through, through Twitter, through TikTok, through all those things, and that those are not real relationships, um, that those are uh, based on being filtered through, whether it be filtered in how they look or even filtered in what they present, but they're not reality. And so our kids are not being socialized through play and not being socialized through people and relationships, but they're being socialized through technology. Hmm. Which you mentioned isolation too, and no doubt isolation uh, as a result of the pandemic to some degree, um, but also right alongside with what you're talking about here mm-hmm. is that, and the, those two things coming together over that 18 month, two year period at a really important socially development, social development stage of a person's life really can then point back to what you said about there, there is this big lack of belonging that is, that is there. Like I, where do I really belong? Right. And I think that is so significant for church leaders to know because what what better environment would we say is meant to facilitate a true sense of belonging than the church and God's people? And so that knowing those things really does cause us, student pastors, as you're listening to say, okay, what can we do? How can we structure ministry to break down the isolation and to build up this sense of belonging, that I'm a part of something in person, in, in real life. Right. I think that's the key to ministry in the future. You know, technology was the trendy way and and large group events were kind of the trendy way to do ministry for a while. We needed to be innovative, but really the need for connection, I think is going to trump technology and everything else that we've Mm. been trying to do because those relationships are the secret sauce really to, to helping kids. And we know that they have uh, anxiety and depression at a higher rate than they've ever had before. Um, Even just looking at, at media, watching a movie like uh, Dear Evan Hansen, you know, and seeing sort of the portrayal of that teenager in in his life and his emptiness and his, his loneliness. And the whole movie is about that. Um, That our kids uh, look at their music. Some, many of their songs are about loneliness. Many of their songs are about um, where do I belong? Uh, there's a song by Nash uh, called Let's Stay in Our Pajamas. And it's basically just saying, I'm just going to kind of retreat at home and, and stay by myself. Uh, mm-hmm. Barna just put out a new book called The Loneliness Epidemic. Uh, and so just came out. And so I think that relationships are going to be the new trend in, in churches that grow and churches that thrive. And, and that's just a basic need of humans that we yeah. all have. I missed those relationships during the pandemic and needed that 
that uh, sense of connection that we didn't have. And so in some ways, the sense of it's human capital, it's us investing in people, but in other ways, it's not as costly as, as fancy buildings and, and big time technology. And so we can go back to some of those basic things that maybe we forgot about when we were able to draw kids in through innovation and technology. Yeah. You, uh, you mentioned, and I missed the numbers you put with it, but you said by a certain age, kids have spent one, one year. year's time. What was the age that you so said? So it's by age of seven. They've spent okay. one year of their life in front of the TV. And so in children's ministry, what I try to what I try to show our students is, you know, if we all believe as adults that kids are in front of screens way too much, then let's be really careful about putting them in front of a screen at church. And let's do more of the face-to-face. Let's do more of that interaction because we know they're already getting plenty of that uh, elsewhere. And certainly with um, with having school online, there was technology fatigue, right? Yeah. You're tired of that. And so, so we've got to be more creative with what we do in relational environments. Well, that, uh, that connects too to the marker that you talked about that more than technology – their interest in, in co-creating technology and mm-hmm. in, in being one of the inputs of, of the technology rather than just watching it. Right. I know there is a, uh, there's a show. I have f- four kids of my own. Uh, two of them are seven and nine years old. So they, you know, they fit this, they fit this category and there is a uh, belt bear grills is like a nature, uh, guy he does a show on netflix and this last season instead of just watching him do the survival things they actually put into it a choose your own adventure where Mm -hmm. throughout the episode it will pop up an option that says do you want him to you know scale the rock face or whatever and they love it they won't watch the other one they don't want to just see him do things. Uh-huh. They want to feel like they're making him do things like they're, yeah. they're choosing the path. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. And so thinking about, uh, so on one side at Lifeway and thinking about what resources we produce that can help churches facilitate these kinds of environments. This is an interesting thought. Mm-hmm. And for our people that are listening to think about how can you involve people in co-creating the experience that they're a part of? Because I would say the majority of student ministries still are not in a co-created type of environment is that it's very much stage forward. Mm -hmm. And so what does that, what does that look like to think about those things? I think that's a really, really important question. The other thing, I did want to spend a few minutes on was the family. Mm. Um, you, you talked about the majority of them of, of children are from non-traditional or dysfunctional, dysfunctional homes Mm -hmm. that has huge impact on, on what we do in the church and how we serve and pastor families and you even mentioned that the majority of churches are not built for this. They, they are built for more of a traditional family. 
as you teach on these things and as you lead at conferences and help kids ministry leaders and student ministry leaders think about this, family ministry leaders, mm -hmm. what are some of the tools that you're putting in their tool belt to begin thinking about how to minister to families that are going to start looking different very quickly in our churches? Yeah, those are that those are great things to think about because I think for the most part we're not even really aware of it. We're not we're not even seeing um, our community, and what we don't realize is that our if our church doesn't sort of look like our community community demographically, then we're not really reaching our community. Mm -hmm. And there's some statistics that say 34 percent of this generation will grow up in a single parent home, um, and yet when we look at our adult Bible fellowships or whatever you may call them, we don't have 34% of those groups geared towards, you know, single parent families. Um, there's another statistic that says 43% of these kids are growing up without a father. Mm. And so there's this huge need for men um, to fill in those gaps for God to be able to use uh, godly men to fill in the gaps for these kids. And, and for us to think about ministry to how do how do we minister to that to that boy that doesn't have a father to teach him these things, or how do we minister to that girl who who doesn't have a dad to take her to the father daughter banquet? Um, how do we think about those things? And so I think for me with with people, it's it's trying to get them to think just a little bit, um, and and to realize that the filter that they're sort of filtering ministry through is not the same filter that reflects the community that they're in, and so. Um, you know, ministry uh, to, to hurting and dysfunctional families is hard. Um, it requires a lot of investment. Um, and, and we know one of the things that we talk about is just our ministers and our churches have got to be better equipped in the counseling fields. That, that one of the ways to really help mm -hmm. your community is to bolster those resources that you have for families that are hurting. Um, yeah. to, to find those families that have blended successfully and let them be leaders in, in ministering to those parents um, and, and finding ways to include single people in your ministry. I think one of the, one of the challenges is that, so we know that kids are marrying later, right? M many of our Gen Zs are waiting longer to marry. Um, and yet what is there for them in the church once they've hit, missed high school? Yeah. There's this huge gap where there's just really nothing for them. So we have more of them in that gap and we have less for them. And so we lose them, you know, because they don't fit. They don't feel like they're high schoolers. They don't feel like they're college kids, but they're not yet married and they don't fit all of that. And so I think traditionally the church has sort of viewed singles as a low return on investment. Like this is not mm -hmm. a group that we're going to get much back from. But in reality, I think that, you know, you'll find a lot of very, very uh, good contributors uh, in, in the single world who are ready and have more time and more availability and sometimes more resources. And so I think we've got to dispel some of those myths that says, and if you're not married by 25, there's something, you know, maybe there's something wrong with you and, and yeah. we, don't, we don't gear our ministry towards you or, or if you don't have an intact family, it's really not going to be a good fit. And so... It's a challenge. Um, it's a challenge for people to think outside the box because most ministers are married with an intact family. And so it doesn't occur to to us or to them that, hey, there's other types of families out there who need our help. And I, I think that 
you know, the real key to seeing some of the decline change to, to growth is to reach some of these, these groups of people that we've largely, I don't think we've intentionally ignored them, but we've largely sort of skipped over them maybe um, for the easier gain with a, with an intact family. And so I think we've got to think differently. There's, there's a new movie out called show me the father that is all about the impact of fatherhood and, and the impact of what kids need in a father. And so um, encouraging people to, to educate themselves and to, to learn about what it is that kids need um, because I think there's some huge issues there. Yeah, for sure. Well, you mentioned too the polarization of our world right now and increasingly so over the last couple of years, along with the absence of shared truth. And I think sometimes people wonder, you know, like those things are on social media and they're on the the news and things like that. But how much of that polarization is really reaching down into and impacting people at an elementary school level that would mark them in such a way that it impacts who they are as a group of people? Um, so I'd love to hear you talk about that and just how much of it is seeping down into the fabric of, of these kids as they, as they develop a worldview, as they figure out who they are. Sure. I think that some of that is still to be determined that we don't mm-hmm. yet know exactly how that's going to impact them. But I, I know for me growing up, um, the news was the news, you know, and, and it came on at a certain time and it went off and that's right. You can pretty well trust that that was what was going to be true. But I think that our kids today are, they're confused by all the different versions of truth. I mean, even, even if we think about COVID and, you know, all the different beliefs about that, imagine being a, a child and not really knowing what's true. Is it true yeah. that I don't need a vaccine? Is it true that I do? Is it true that this is happening? Is it not true? And so I, I think that impacts them and their trust. But I also think that our our parents and previous generations were more of a filter for our kids, and they kind of mm. kind of kept things out and they let things in. They, they kept the bad things out and they let the good things in. And and if we were brought up in a Christian home, then you know for the first twelve years of our life, then then we were poured into and we kind of learned what our faith meant. And we learned what we believed and we learned what our parents believed. And then we were able to sort of work through that as, a, as we were teenagers and, and find that as our own. But today, our kids not only are trying to learn what we believe, but they're also hearing what everybody else believes because the world is literally at their fingertips. So the world is literally in their face. And so their own beliefs weren't really found, didn't really find a good foundation before somebody else was already saying, well, that's not really true, or you don't really believe that, or maybe it's this way. And so I think there's been a lack of an ability for us as parents to really, um, to really set those foundational beliefs in place. Uh, mm. They have been faced with the need for more critical skills at a much earlier age in which they don't have yet. And so I think, uh, and, and again, we don't have kids in church as much as we used to. So I went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And so there was lots of different things being taught to me. And today yeah. we get kids once a week if we're lucky. Uh, yeah. And so there's just, there's an absence of us pouring information and pouring foundational biblical truths into our kids' lives. While at the same time, the world just sort of beating us down with their version of truth. So I think it's a, it's a very tricky time for our kids. Yeah. I would love to kind of wrap 
things up with just for a moment, you imagining that we're all in one of your classes uh, and where you kind of take the approach with us of saying, how can we implement things into the ministry? We try to, we try to do uh, to be as practical as we can uh, on the podcast to, to help people walk away with saying, okay, I can begin to start doing these things. So taking kind of that approach, how would you instruct us to implement the research side of what we need to do into the practical side of week in and week out ministry? Sure. So I think there's, there's several generational specific needs uh, for this group. I think um, the num- one of the number one ones is truth, that we've got to pour truth into our kids' lives through Scripture. Um, I think another need is authenticity. Um, I think that our kids and adults, too, are, are wanting authentic people. They want to belong with authentic people, but they also want to learn from authentic people. And I think that's been one of the, the downsides to sort of the professional church scene where we've scripted everything. Uh, in the service, and, and everything is almost perfect, and yet our people want to see um, the real person. Yeah. They want to know that um, that yes, the Christian life has a lot to offer, and that we, when we follow God, there's a sense of hope and there's a sense of peace. But that there's also some hard times, and they want to learn from people who will admit those hard times, and they don't they don't want to be surprised anymore by people who are one way in public and another way in private. You know, that's another thing that our kids have been exposed to is just lots of scandal. Um, scandals used to be sort of kept within the church or within the, um, within the, the small regional area because we didn't have media to broadcast it. And so yeah. they're aware of that. It feels like it's happening all the time. So authenticity, I think they also need some gap fillers. Um, some, some people who will fill in the gaps for those kids who have dysfunctional, families who, who need a father figure or maybe need a mother figure, but we need folks to think about how can we set up ministry that's going to fill some of these gaps for these kids. Um, and then relationships, how do we create relationally rich environments? Um, environments where kids are cherished and valued and known um, and they're missed, you know, when they're not there. I, I think with the, with the, growth in such large group ministry and sort of the decline of small group ministry in churches that we've missed out on those, on those key relationships. And then I think we've got to, in the local church, figure out some ways to help people with their mental health and and bolster those resources for our kiddos and, uh, and find ways to help them. And then I think even within the classroom that we've got to use more dialogue than monologue our kids don't really need us for information. They need us for relationship and wisdom. And so uh, I've heard several kids say, you know, we want to talk about hard things. We want to, we want to talk about issues that are important to us. And sometimes it feels like at church that people just talk about what's important to them, what they think is important. But, you know, we're concerned about these things. They're very concerned about social justice issues. And, and so there's things that we, we shy away from that, that they find their passion in. And I think that we can find some ways to connect with them uh, in that way. Um, and I think our kids are not nearly as impressed with our buildings or the fancy stuff that we have as much as they really want to be a part of, 
of something where they're helping people. They see a world that's that's hurting. They see a world that's broken. They see they see kids without homes. They see uh, all kinds of natural disasters, and, and they want to be a part of of helping that. So I think there's some opportunities to even tap into that that missional part of this generation that says, okay, it's great. We love the Lord, but what are we doing for all the stuff that's going on out there? And, yeah. and I think they get more excited about that than, than big building projects and big um, capital outlays that maybe boomers and maybe, maybe Gen Xers, we got more excited about, but they're more excited about ministry outside the church. And so that's not a bad, that's not a bad thing to be interested in. And so we can, yeah, right. we can, we can stack hands on that with our kids um, and Absolutely. so I think that's a few things and, and maybe just thinking carefully about how you use technology. I think we always need some technology. We need, we need a little bit of that, but let's don't rely on that. Um, let's, let's go back to relational teaching uh, with kids. That's good. Well, Dr. Melia, thank you so much for being willing to be a part of this podcast today. Uh, we appreciate your time and and your wisdom in this. Uh, so thank you for being here. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. If you're listening to the podcast, still don't go anywhere. Producer Nathan and I will be right back after this short word. Hey, I want to take just a second to tell you about something that Lifeway Girls has coming up. It's called Girls Weekend. And you might be familiar with the previous Lifeway Girls Conference, which our team at Lifeway Girls is incredible. And they're taking that to the next level by offering an all-inclusive weekend just for your girls and your girls' ministry leaders. So we want to make it easy for leaders to spend time with their girls by providing all the lodging, all the food, all the programming. There's going to be worship, breakout sessions, fun activities throughout the entire weekend. The cost is $199 per person and is hosted at the Shaco Springs Conference Center right outside of Birmingham, Alabama. If you can't make it to the event in person or live too far away to join, there will also be a simulcast. So Pass this information on to your girls' ministry leaders, your moms in your church, small group leaders. Make this available to them. You can find out more at lifeway.com slash girls, W-K-N-D, girls, W-K-N-D. Once again, that's lifeway.com slash girls, W-K-N-D. Producer Nathan, we are back. Man. I think we could have continued to talk to Dr. Melia for a long time on that one. What are, uh, what are your major takeaways? Man, I've got quite a, quite a few pages of, well, I guess they're not pages, it's notepad. It continues to scroll. So whatever that means, (laughs) but notepad notes here. I think, man, there was a statement she said right towards the end that I really thought was just a great statement. She said they, that meaning the students, they don't need us for information, but need us for discernment and wisdom. And that just really, that just really, I think struck, struck with me that, I mean, that's kind of what we, what we would say we're there for. That's what discipleship is about. And I think far too often we think we've got to like force freedom of a bunch of information, but I think that like she talked about, like their learning process is, is doing, is working through it. And so I think we've got to get out of the mindset of just, all right, here's, I'm going to get up, I'm going to teach, preach, whatever we say, like 20 minutes to just kind of like 
I mean, it's, it's good stuff, obviously, the gospel, like, you know, words, but like, we need to do that, but we also need to make time for them to work through and process it. Not yeah. like, okay, think about this, this week as you're at school or whatever we typically might say, but like, we need to work through it, process it together. Like they want to have those hard conversations, you know, and I think that we need to be the ones helping them show them discernment and wisdom. They're looking for us to be like, how do I rectify? Like, here's what the world says. Here's what the Bible says. How do I deal with this? How do I wrestle with it? And I think that's where they're really wanting to look for us to be like, and we can, that's where we can give that discernment and that wisdom and say, okay, like, here's kind of how to think through these things, how to work through it. Here's what the gospel says in these other places, show them how to rightly wrestle with scripture, how to rightly, you know, build up their faith, those kind of things. Yeah. Same truth, same, you know, mm-hmm. same mess- messages, things like that, but providing that time and opportunity for the hard questions. That's really, really valuable, valuable time. I, man, I love, she talked about relationally rich environments and what mm-hmm. those, I think it's a huge question for us to say as ministry people, is my environment relationally rich? Mm-hmm. Man. That And it can be like, you don't have to sacrifice relation, like truth richness for a relational, you you don't, absolutely that's not a choice here. It doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be either, or it can be both. And to your point and what you were saying, but creating a relationally rich environment where people are missed if they're not there is something Mm -hmm. that she said. And man, I, I really thought that was a significant, significant point. The other thing that stood out to me was, was the family stuff in, in helping and pastoring, helping kids, teenagers, and pastoring families when they don't always look the same. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we all, we know that's been increasing over, over the years, but to hear that the majority of them will be from non-traditional families is a significant point that I think pastorally we, we need to keep our eye on and, and, and do the planning and thinking work ahead of time to say, mm-hmm. okay, like if that ends up being the truth, like what are the things that I'm doing right now in my ministry that I'm not even thinking about that only cater to a family that has a mom, a dad, both living in the home. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, it's, I think it does, it will do us well to stop and think, am I unintentionally doing something that only caters to this certain group of people? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's really good. The other stats with that were 34% single parent homes, 43% growing up without a father were the other ones she listed there. And I think, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's absolutely crazy. And I think I was thinking about that as she was talking about, I was like, you know, when I look at my time, when I was um, like in student ministry, like, yeah, there were quite a few kids from single parent homes, but I really didn't take the time to to understand what that really meant. And so I'm sitting there thinking like, man, I really right. should have some some conversations with my adults now, people my age, maybe even just friends I have that grew up with single parent homes and just if they're willing to have some conversations like, man, what was that like? What does that mean? Like I think I really missed yeah. out on some on on really understanding. I just kind of went and was like, well, you know, they're here in student ministry, we're gonna treat all the kids the same. And I think I missed out on some real intentional ministry opportunities along the way by not just Maybe it was just, you know, just, you know, I'm not even realizing that that was something I needed to probably be really focusing on and, and helping to understand, you know? Yeah, man, I think that's a great point. Well, thanks for listening today. This has been another episode of the Student Ministry Podcast by Lifeway. We will see you next time.